Hello. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. Dear listeners, thanks for coming on this wild ride with me. 18 weeks which whipped by. We've reached the final chapter of Gatekeeper's Key already, but... It is not the final episode of TFT. Next week is the first segment of Chats with Cool Folk. And I will begin by chatting about palindrome writing and manipulating your reader, among other things, with Jonathan Lister, who is the author of Oblivion's Wake and many others. That will be followed by a couple other chats with cool couples. And then, and then, I will begin Gatekeeper's Deception. I've heard from several listeners saying they're looking forward to binging Gatekeeper's Key once this final episode is up. That is so cool! For your benefit, I planned all along to release an audiobook version of the novel, and now I'm very excited to announce that the audiobook will be released a lot sooner than I planned. Like, I will be launching it within the next week or two. Having said that, I am told it could take a few weeks before it actually shows up on all the platforms where it will be available, but keep your eyes open. If you can hold off just a bit, you will be able to purchase it, thereby avoiding all those nasty interruptions with me talking in between chapters. By doing so, you will also support my art, and I will be grateful beyond words. But if you can't wait, binge away. I'm also preparing the release of a short story audiobook, which will be the first of many. Now, I won't keep you from the final chapter any longer, except to say that if you stick around after this episode, you will hear a little teaser from Gatekeeper's Deception. Oh, and one more thing. Thanks for listening. Gatekeeper's Key by Krista Wallace Chapter 18 Aftermath Janik did the search of the body on Kier's behalf and pocketed the few items of value to present to her at some opportune time. He stared at the bastard's corpse and contemplated how to dispose of it. He ran through the options and decided there was just one appropriate method. Janik picked up the severed arm and pressed it onto the horse son's belly. He dragged the corpse as far as he could into the woods and let the bastard's legs drop. He wiped his hands on the dead man's jerkin, then on the moss. He finally brushed them on his own trousers and walked away. The local wildlife would be happy. A queue of injured villagers stood or sat outside the inn, leaning against the building, still hoping for treatment from the physiker. Kier stepped inside. The candle and lamplight was like sunlight compared to the diffused slate-gray mist that hung over the village this—was it afternoon or still morning? She stood for a moment, blinking, hardly aware of the presence of living beings beyond the door. "'Where have you been?' came a familiar voice, scolding. "'And where's Janik?' She said nothing. The words would not come so easily." We could use your help here, you know. Kier shut the door behind herself and walked across the room to the bar. A keg of ale might normally have been inviting, but she needed something stronger, more immediate effects. She picked a half-full bottle from among the row on the shelf, grabbed a glass, and sat down in a corner booth, her feet up on the bench. She was aware of the surrounding silence and felt several sets of eyes on her, but the sensation was not strong enough to penetrate her mood, and she ignored it. The cork yarded out, she poured, drank, poured again, drank, and soon a heady warmth seeped into the chill of her muscles and mind. She poured yet again and leaned her head back against the wall, eyes shut. There would be no toast to the dead today. Annoyance tremored through Derry's benumbed mind, but he could spare only a moment to observe her. She was not bleeding, unlike the teenage boy with the hunk of pottery jutting out of his forehead. He returned to his work. Jaskelin, at least, hadn't bolted on him. Sasha couldn't be kept away, and once Emma had been wrapped in a sheet and the mess cleaned up, Derry would not let Sasha in the room until that had been done. The child had become a first-rate assistant— 
She'd also put herself in charge of visiting all the invalids in the rooms upstairs. Even Fennel, his shoulder bound and Jaskelin's healing spell doing its work, was able to help the mage with some of the wounded. The captain was too drained to give much thought to the absent dwarf or the delinquent Kier. She'd walked out on him when he needed her most. When had he come to need her in particular that much? Definitely too tired and too numb to reflect on that, he put her out of his mind. All the wounded dealt with at last, the captain sat at a table in the centre of the room and realised how fatigued he was. He could not remember this much activity packed into such a short time since the day he'd gotten Val out of Eckert City, barely twenty-four hours since they'd arrived on the hill above this cursed village. Jaskelin opened a bottle of wine, pouring him a generous cupful. Fennel pulled up a chair after laying a blanket across a napping Sasha, and Jaskelin poured for him, too. "'We can't take another one like that, Captain,' the mage pointed out. "'We're done in.' Derry agreed. "'Especially if two of our own people aren't quite with us.' He meant Janik and Fennel, but had a hard time resisting the temptation to look over at Kier. He didn't need to. Jaskelin did it for him. Fennel frowned. "'Perhaps Fennel and I should go talk to Magistrate Dillon,' Jaskelin said. "'Try to find out if the bastards behind this have sent him another message yet. "'Or give him one of our own. No more fighting.' "'That's an idea,' Derry said. "'No need.' Derry turned his head. "'Kier looked so utterly spent. "'He could not fix on whether she more closely resembled Therese, the goddess of the air, "'or Kowaldor, the god of death. "'She poured another drink from her bottle and downed it. "'The alcohol seemed to boost her determination. "'No need.' "'Do you care to explain?' Derry heard the authoritative tone in his voice, adopted automatically now that he sensed he was about to hear what Kier had been up to. She pushed herself to her feet and stood at attention, looking over Derry's head at the wall beyond. The perpetrator was Ronav Malachite. I figured it out and went to find him. Derry had a bad feeling. And? Kier's voice was calm and strong. He's dead. Fennel and Jaskelin exchanged looks. Derry got to his feet and approached her. Kier? he asked hopefully. The door opened, then clicked shut. I killed him, Derry. A pit opened in Derry's belly. Kier? Was it self-defense? She clenched her teeth and still did not meet his eyes. Was it self-defense, Kier? he insisted. No, sir. And now she glared at him. I went down, called him out, and I killed him. He suffered. I killed him, and I enjoyed it. Derry's heart fell into the pit. That's where I went, she pressed, her pitch rising. I did not go to capture him to bring him before Val for judgment. I went to kill him. Janik stepped up. The captain was replete with sadness. You know what I'm going to have to do now, don't you? Kier looked at him defiantly. Whatever. Derry breathed out a long exhale. <sighs> Kier Halliden, I regret that I must— Don't do anything foolish, Captain, Janik warned. Derry snapped his gaze over to the dwarf. We've all had a rough go today, Captain, Janik said. We've all had to make choices, tricky ones. It's all about choices, Derry. Derry could not avoid a glance over at the sheet-wrapped form in the corner. His whole body ached. But Janik was right. The dwarf walked away, leaving Derry to look back and forth from the dwarf to Kier and wonder what had passed between the two of them. He looked into Kier's dark green eyes and saw that they weren't defiant, but troubled. She was experiencing her own pain. No words came to his lips, but he nodded his understanding. Her body sagged. He reached out to touch her. She raised her eyes again and shook her head slowly. You didn't kill them, Derry. Not your fault. He released an involuntary choking sound. How did she know? His body sagged. Later they sat in a cozy group, feeling, for the first time in ages, serene. 
The dwarf went to his belongings in the corner and brought a bundle over to their table. He tossed a few daggers down as well as three coin pouches and a quiver of arrows for fennel. There was also a half-decent pair of wool socks. "'Didn't have a chance to give these to you after we hucked the dead men into the temple last night,' he said to Kier. "'Wasn't much of any quality. In the pocket of one of my fellows was this little trinket, though.' His eyes gleamed as he held up a polished stone that twirled as it dangled from a chain. "'That's pure jade, if I'm not mistaken. It's a beauty. You have my word as a dwarf and a warrior that this was found on the body of one of the men I killed,' he added with a look at Hier, aware that it appeared he had taken the one item of value from the dead men. Kier shrugged. "'I trust you.' A look of astonishment passed among Derry, Jesketlin, and Fennel. Kier smiled and lowered her eyes. Janik snorted. "'There was one other thing, Kier,' Janik said. "'I found this pouch on Ronav. It was tucked up inside his armor, just under one arm.' He handed her a leather pouch. It was padded with sheepskin inside. Kier pulled from it a vial of a transparent, blood-red liquid. She held it up to the firelight and saw that it had a marbled effect, similar to when she'd seen two types of liquor mixed together.' She held it up for Jeskelin to examine, and he whistled low. It glowed eerily with the firelight behind it. "'Have an apothecary confirm this,' he said. "'But I have a suspicion that this is one of the most powerful blends of healing potion available. In fact, not available. Only a very experienced wizard could be a source of such a thing.'" Valraker's company stayed in Nenya for ten days altogether. They buried Ronav's men with all the ceremony that goes into eviscerating chickens. Derry asked what had become of Ronav's body. Kier didn't know, and Janik said nothing. Derry was forced to accept that it had been dealt with as the dwarf had seen fit, and to leave it alone. Emma, her babe, and Sasha's father were handled delicately. The company erected a pyre and laid the corpses on it with honor. Derry brought Emma's parents to the lighting ceremony in hopes that they would have some memory of it once they had regained possession of their minds. Jeskelin, the shaman, sang the chants as the fire sent its smoke into the sky, the souls of the departed to be with the gods of their choice. Sasha showed them the site for the placement of her father's ashes. On the edge of the stream near their cottage was a flower garden where Sasha's mother's ashes lay. Sasha Carver was etched into a stone at one end. They buried the fathers in the ground next to that place, encircling the entire area with stones. Janik placed his own contribution himself at the head of the site, a stone that read simply, Sean Carver, Loyalty. Sean and Sasha Carver, Jeskelin spoke softly to the spirits of those who had passed on, Fear not the welfare of your child. She will be well cared for by friends of the true duke to whom you remained loyal. For the five of them had agreed that they would not leave her in Nanya. She would return with them to Shale, and a home would be found for her there. Back at the inn, they ate a light midday meal. I can't go with you, Sasha said. Why not? asked Kier. What can she possibly think is left for her here? Because there will be no one to tend the statues, she replied with a shrug. Derry leaned forward so suddenly he bumped the table, almost spilling all the cups that sat upon it. "'What do you mean?' he demanded, then, remembering he was speaking to a child, continued more softly. "'What tending do the statues need?' "'Papa told me to pull the weeds at Dion's feet, and to put the dirt on Aidan's wheat. I don't know why, but he said it's important. If I go away, there won't be anyone to do it.' Derry leaned back in his chair, the corners of his mouth curled in amusement, but his eyes clouded with grief. "'You did that?' He nearly choked on the words. She nodded. "'I went out at night, just like Papa said.' Derry had nothing to say. For some strange reason, he looked as if he might cry. Kier made another connection. "'Sasha, did your Papa have a millstone in a shed that he used to grind corn and wheat?' The child nodded, her mouth full of egg. Her legs swung back and forth. We had corn and wheat in the cellar. He used it to make bread. We took a really long drive to another place to get it, but then the men came and broke it all up, so he used a mortar and pestle instead. The bread wasn't as nice after that because he said the grain wasn't ground up enough. 
Some time after the visit from Valraker's messenger, Sasha's father had figured out that both water and flour were contaminated. He had found a way to keep himself and his daughter healthy, and had kept a low profile while waiting for help to arrive. His daughter maintained the clues on the statues in case something happened to him. Leaving the village was not an option for him, for where could he find a safer place in enemy-occupied territory than his own home? And he trusted that help was on the way. They had missed him by less than a day. Kier's eyes hazed in a swell of emotion, and she hated Ronav more. Derry leaned over and took the girl's wee hand in his large one. "'You have done very well, Sasha. "'The work you did helped us to discover what was ailing the people in your village, "'and now everyone is going to get well again. "'There is no longer a need for you to tend the statues.' "'Oh, that's good,' she sighed with relief. "'I really wanted to come with you.' "'There was one more burial.' Without the use of an antidote, there was no way to neutralize the poison. A new water source would have to be dug. Kier, Janik, and Fennel had broken down the stone walls of the old well and filled it in, but not all the way to the top. Jeskelin chanted and sang as Derry laid the ashes of Emma and her son in the well and covered them with earth. Fennel planted a fir sapling he had retrieved from the woods, and they filled the dirt around it until it was level with the ground again. Then Kier and Janik erected a low fence around the area. New life would grow from where life had been laid to rest. Thus they began the healing of Nenya. Fennel sought information from whomever he could, be it the magistrate or the sheriff or even the baker. He wanted to know where the flower had been sent from so they could stop its production. He also researched where Nenya used to get flour before Ronav's men broke their way into the trade route so Nenya could re-establish trade with its original source. He journeyed away for a few days to bring back some supplies from other villages. Derry and Kier collected sacks of tainted flour from the villagers and tried to tell the story of what had happened to anyone showing signs of lucidity. In the meantime, Janik and Jeskelin dug a new well at the other end of the square from the old one. It was far enough away to be out of reach of any contaminated seepage. Progress was slow, however, because of Jeskelin's refusal to pick up a spade. The hole was three feet wide and as many deep, and Janik's back was already sore from the labor, but the mage stood to one side, head tipped skyward, and murmured to himself. His long, delicate fingers alternated between crossing through each other and touching lightly at the tips. "'Your hands would be a lot more useful if you would apply them to the task we have been given,' Janet growled at his friend with sarcastic formality. The mage stopped murmuring and opened his eyes, glaring starkly back at the dwarf in the hole. "'Marvellous! You have just destroyed my concentration, and now I shall have to begin again.' "'Begin what? I've done a fairly thorough beginning on my own here, and I could use some help.' You know very well that my hands are my tools, dare I say, my instruments, and I would be foolish and destructive indeed to threaten their effectiveness by covering them with blisters and calluses. It would upset the very balance of nature were I to degrade my hands in such a manner. Janik rolled his eyes as he stuck the spade in the dirt and straightened. I don't know what rotting maggot leftovers you are tossing at me, you adulpated mumbling magician. Magician, but I'm apt to be finished here before you have even... How dare you insult my craft by speaking of me as nothing but a low-life player of tricks, a delver in sleight of hand? Hardly. Do you know how many years it takes to... At least as many as it will take for you to pick up that damned spade and get busy here. If you must know, I happen to be trying to remember a spell I learned a long time ago and haven't used in several years. It takes time to, apparently, remember how to do it correctly, and if not done correctly, dire consequences will occur. As long as the consequence has something to do with this hole being deep enough to reach water, that's all I care about. The dwarf tossed up a spadeful of dirt that hit Jeskelin Square in the chest. The mage stiffened. His jaw jutted out as he brushed dirt off himself. You know, for the first time I can see why people like to have little carved stone versions of you in their gardens, Jeskelin remarked dryly. Not only can I see that such a creature as yourself might scare away evil spirits, but you do look rather cunning up to your arse in a hole. 
Kier and Derry, heaving a sack of flour onto the platform, saw Jaskellen dashing about, trying to dodge piles of dirt as they were flung at him from the hole. Janik didn't bother with the spade now, but threw fistfuls of dirt at the mage, who howled with both rage and laughter. Silence ensued after a time, but it was broken again by a loud bang and sizable chunks of dirt falling from the sky and landing all around the hole. Kier and Derry dropped what they were doing and ran over. Janik howled obscenities from somewhere down in the hole, which was rather deep all of a sudden. He hurled insults at Jaskelin, who shrugged sheepishly, brushing dirt off his robes. "'I guess I remembered it after all,' he said. "'One more should do it, but I suppose we ought to get Janik out of there before I try it again.' They had to lower a rope down to the dwarf, who, when he finally emerged, was head to toe in mud, and looked more like a goblin as he yelled at the mage, cursing him and his blasted magic tricks. As a matter of fact, it was a blasting spell, Janik. Well done, lad. Kier didn't dare laugh, but it was all she could do to suppress it. She bit her tongue until tears came to her eyes. Janik, go down to the stream and wash yourself, and Jaskelin, why did you not get him out of there before you cast your spell? He could have been badly hurt. Well, not really. It was just a mild spell. At worst, he could have been buried, and then we'd have had to dig him out again. Derry did not see the humor in this. Honestly, Derry, I was quite distracted. I had no thought at all that it would work. How was I to know it would be so effective? The mage stepped closer to the hole and looked down. You see, we are close. I'll just do it again and we'll have our new well. No more digging required. Janik, you can thank me later. Janik's steady stream of invectives soared up to them as his filthy lumbering form descended the hill. With no new poison being introduced into their bodies, the villagers began to come back to themselves after a week, much to the relief of Kier and her friends. Derry's concern about long-term effects had not abated, but they did all they could to ensure the welfare of the villagers. The victims began to understand just what had been done to them, and could take steps to re-establish themselves. Kier put her upbringing to good use, helping a few families with planting and sheep-shearing. Derry promised Peter Dillon to send a shipment of supplies, including flour, once they reached Shale. The village cleric spoke with Derry, who told him all he could about what had happened to them all. The cleric promised that he would involve Nenya's healer, and together they would counsel the rest of the villagers to help them through the anger and bitterness they would feel very soon. Baird, the innkeeper, set himself the task of bringing his establishment back up to its usual standard. He was quite mortified that Lord Valraker's ambassadors had been staying there amongst filth and negligence, and made it up to them by making the place fairly sparkle in short order. One evening, the group returned and were greeted by a cheery fire in a tavern that smelled no longer of dust and mildew, but of fresh straw and wood oil. The salty aroma of frying pork sizzled its way from the kitchen, and Baird drew the meat a pint of ale, then uncorked some wine and poured out six cups. "'Nenya will be forever grateful to you for all you have done,' he said sincerely. "'I drink to you five and to your lord. May he return to his homeland while I still have my youth to be a part of it.' They drank and toasted Baird and all of Nenya, wishing them a speedy recovery. Once they were satisfied that Nenya would thrive on its own, the company felt their presence was becoming a burden and prepared to leave. The whole population of Nenya came out to see them off. Some wished they could stay and see the village back on its feet, but Derry reassured them that he would have Lord Valraker send another group of emissaries in a month or so to see how they were faring. One of the men who had attacked Kier in the riot came to apologize, saying, "'It weren't too gentlemanly.' The storekeeper gave Sasha a kiss. "'Come visit us some day, child, and show us what a grand lady you have become.' Then she pressed something into Sasha's hand and turned away. Sasha opened her palm to see what she had been given. It was a shiny hair clip made of brightly painted wood in the shape of a bow and arrow. The arrow was the sturdy stick that pushed through the bow to hold the clip shut and the hair in place. Sasha showed it to Kier and Fennel, grinning from ear to ear. Kier turned it over and saw that carved into it were the initials S.C. A lump formed in her throat. I'll tell her about that later. Fennel lifted Sasha up onto Layout's back, and at last they were off. They waved amid a chorus of hurrahs. When they reached the hilltop from which they'd first glimpsed the decrepit village, Kier turned around for a last look. Already the village showed signs of new life.
They had been away nearly a month, and spring was in full bloom in the Duchy of Shea. The journey was blissfully uneventful, in particular for Kier, who felt certain that with Ronav dead, his men could no longer have a need to track her. Their spirits were high. Finally, one afternoon, they could see the spire of Shale Castle in the distance. Kier cheered. I can't wait to have a bath. I'm sure I'm as rank as fennel by now. The good-natured elf stuck his tongue out at her. Let's enter Shale by the sunset gate, Derry, he suggested excitedly, so Sasha can feel the full effects of the city. I would have thought that might be frightening to the child. I'm not afraid, Sasha announced, and so it was decided. Rather than going in modestly at the northeast high gate, they circled around the outer city and made their entrance by the main gate, where Kier had entered on her arrival. They paraded up the road triumphantly, and Kier's heart thudded in anticipation of a warm reception and the celebration that would ensue when they told their tale. The guards at the gate welcomed them, though Kier sensed a reservation in their hearty demeanour. This was reinforced as they clopped along the road within the walls. Kier's pleasure at the look of awe on Sasha's face was dampened by a feeling from the citizens of Shale that something was not right. They didn't greet the travellers with anger or unfriendliness, but neither was there even an air of excitement at their arrival. An overtone of greyness hung over the whole city. "'What's going on, do you suppose?' she asked Derry. "'What do you mean?' he said. And she could see that he was beaming beneath his serious exterior at the prospect of reporting to his lord with the good news of their successful venture. She left it alone. Perhaps Shale had not changed.' Maybe it had been like this when she arrived, but she hadn't noticed it, what with her own excitement and apprehension of what was to come. However, Kian's flag no longer flew from the tower. Acadia met them at the outer castle gate. She was genuinely glad to see them, and this time Kier was certain of the change in her. The business-like manner was still there, but she appeared much more at ease and less stilted in her speech than when her brother had been present. She, too, seemed to be wearing a subtle sign of care in the form of a line across her forehead and a dimness in her eyes. Kier attributed that to Acadia's observation of Sasha. She most likely guessed the reason for the child's coming to shale with them. Kier felt anew the tremor in her knees upon stepping over the threshold of the keep behind the steward. She could not resist a glance over her shoulder at the Lady Alon Mare, whose congratulatory smile shone down to her. She smiled back. Thalraker had been informed of his company's arrival, and when Acadia opened the door to Kian's meeting-room, he turned from the fireplace and greeted them warmly. He was dressed in casual black with a waistcoat of some shimmery silver fabric. His hair was tied back, so Kier was able to observe the ancient face that somehow looked more tired and anxious today now that they had returned than it had when they left. Shouldn't it be the other way around, she wondered? "'Welcome, my friends.' I was beginning to be concerned about what had become of you. He shook them each by the hand. I have an idea that you must have been successful, or I'm sure I would see heavier eyelids and sadder smiles. You are correct, my lord, Derry affirmed with subdued eagerness, though more than one sad smile faced us from the moment we arrived. In fact, from the time our journey began, he glanced at Kier, we succeeded in doing as you asked. Thalraker's attention was distracted when he saw a tiny face peering out from behind Kier's legs. Derry halted his report as the dark elf lowered himself to crouch in front of Kier and tipped his head to one side. "'Well, well, who have we here?' His voice was kind and playful, his grey eyes sparkling. "'Come on out, Sasha, it's all right,' Kier urged. Fennel crouched down to meet her face and took the child by the hand. "'Sasha, this is Lord Valraker.' He is the true duke that your papa spoke of. Turning to the dark elf, he continued, Valraker, this is Sasha Carver. We brought her back with us from Nenya. She very much wanted to meet you. Eyebrows lifting in recognition of the name, Valraker's assessment of the situation was quick. He stuck out a hand for her to shake and said, It's a pleasure to meet you. Kier stood awkwardly between them, her arms folded across her chest, and observed the girl's reaction. Sasha stared at him in awe and did not take his hand. Instead, she reached into the pocket of her pinafore and pulled out a rather crumpled, wilted handful of buttercups. "'I picked these just for you,' she whispered. "'Well, now, wasn't that thoughtful?' 
Thalraker accepted the bright yellow blooms, picking up the ones that fell to the floor. It has been a very long time since anyone has given me flowers. Who gave them to you before? <laughs> Thalraker chuckled. It was much too long ago for me to remember. I will bring you some more ones, better ones that aren't squished. I would like that very much. Kier knew Sasha had warmed to her father's hero when she stepped out and pulled the griffin out of her other pocket, thrusting it in his face. This is Arrow. My papa made him. He brings me good luck. He takes care of me. Valraker took the wooden figure and examined it with the arched eyebrows of someone who is impressed. He's a beauty, all right. Would you like for my friend Acadia to take you and Arrow to look around the castle? I think there might be some other children your age lurking about somewhere. Sasha's eyes widened, and her face broke out into an impish grin. She nodded with enthusiasm. Come, Acadia took the child by the hand. I'll take you to the kitchen first. I bet Cook has some apple turnovers that need a young lady's attention. Yes, it's a good idea, Sasha said as they went out. Arrow's hungry, too, and he's very excited about being in a big castle. The sound of her little voice died away as the door closed behind them. Valreker rose, his face now careworn. Was her father taken from her? he asked, already knowing the answer. He motioned for them all to be seated and settled himself in his usual armchair by the fire. Yes, I'm afraid so, Derry said, taking the reins of the story, though each member of the party contributed anecdotes. When they came to the part about Kier's capture by Ronav's men, Val looked sharply at Kier as she described her experience. Though she assured him she was quite recovered, he was not able to turn from her for a moment, his brow furrowed in consternation. You suddenly travelled from Ronav's headquarters to wherever it was these fellows were? She nodded, shrugging. I hoped you might be able to shed some light on that one, she admitted. He continued to stare at her, then shook his head. No, I'm afraid I can't. Kier was aware of a twinge of guilt as she realized that, for a brief moment, she did not believe him. Can't or won't. Then the feeling passed. They carried on with the story of the arrival in Nenya, the riots, the discoveries of the poisonous mixtures, and the slayings of Ronav and his compatriots. Derry here left out certain details, purposely avoiding Kier's eyes. Valraker asked questions to fill in gaps that he did not understand, but for the most part remained silent, glued to every detail. He reacted with anger, with dismay, with approval. When Fennel told him of the discovery of Sasha and her father, his eyes closed as if the thought of it pained him. A good many points in the story caused him to raise his hand for a momentary pause while he sorted them and filed them in his memory to be dwelt upon further at another time. Wine and ale were brought to them, and later, an evening meal. They told their leader the whole tale. Val approved wholeheartedly of the plan to send a shipment of supplies right away. Then he rose. Moving around the gathering, he embraced each one in a gesture of thanks for their contributions to saving his village. There will be rewards for you all, though I confess I'm not prepared at this time. I've been... preoccupied... He filled their cups from the wine decanter on the table and stood staring thoughtfully into the fire. Then he turned as if remembering they were there. I congratulate and thank you all. His tone became grave. Now it is my turn to speak to you of the things that have transpired here in Shale since your departure. A week after you left, we received a message from Barthelen Castle. You will note that Kian is not here to greet you, and he asked me to pass on his regrets. He returned in great haste to Barthelen Castle upon hearing that Lady Alonmer has been taken seriously ill. Kier's heart jolted and her body stiffened. How seriously? Valraker's face darkened visibly. We do not know. The healers could tell us their observations, but have drawn no conclusions. The dread hung in the chamber like the deep resonance of a gong. Kier's knees were clenched. It was no wonder the mood of the entire city was subdued if people had heard about their lady. They'd had nearly a month to dwell on it. Valraker was not finished. The other part of the problem is that Alon is pregnant. This illness is threatening her life, so of course... 
Here he turned away again, and Kierre saw his shoulder-blades contract, controlling the emotion that surged. "'There must be something we can do,' Kierre spouted hoarsely. "'Do the healers not have any ideas?' All five watched their leader. Valraker composed himself. "'There is one idea.' "'Well, let's have it,' Kierre said. The dark elf contemplated her. "'I confess I'm moved by your depth of feeling for a dear friend of mine, though you have never met her.' Kier frowned away her blush. How could she describe the feelings evoked in her by a mere portrait on the wall? They would never understand why Alon Mare meant so much to her. Valraker wandered over to gaze at the map on the wall. "'The healers at Barthelen Castle are the best in Rydris.' They have employed the full spectrum of their craft, all the ancient arts, their knowledge of spells and charms, all their energy and internal powers, and have come up with nothing but minor, temporary remedies. They cannot even come up with a diagnosis, let alone what they need, a cure. The prime healer here in Shale suggested it, and we all agreed that in order to learn exactly what ails Alon, and to discover a cure if there is one, we need to consult a higher power." Valraker turned and looked directly at Jaskelin. Jaskelin is a higher power, Kier thought doubtfully, but then she saw the cloud cross over the mage's already dark face. You cannot mean that we need to consult Kami, Jaskelin murmured, the white of his eyes brightly contrasting with the darkness of his skin. The dark elf nodded. The prime can think of no other option. Kier looked from one face to another around the room. Nobody seemed happy with the idea. "'Who's Kami?' she wondered. "'No one has seen or heard from Kami in years,' said Jaskelin. "'Why, it has been at least fifteen years since I have heard him utter a single sound from his dark tower way up north, and even then it was a three-word declaration, "'I am busy,' that gave us all the strong message that he absolutely does not want to be disturbed.' One does not just walk up to the tower of the most powerful wizard in Rydras, knock on the door, and ask for a casual favor as if we were asking to borrow some eggs. It just isn't done. It's our only hope, Falraker said, sinking wearily into his chair. If you don't wish to be a part of it, I won't blame you or bear any grudge against you. It may be that he isn't willing or even able to help us. I am merely asking you to try. I'll go piped up Kier without hesitation. "'As will I,' Fennel nodded, though his voice was overly brave. "'You know I will,' Derry said quietly to his lord. Janik and Jaskelin said nothing. Janik's jaw was crooked in a thoughtful pose, and the mage sat in moody silence. "'It isn't necessary to make a decision this instant.' Valraker assured them. The situation is urgent, but I'm also fully aware of the danger you would be heading into.' We'll talk further in the morning. Valraker sent a message into the city, and later that evening held a private interview in Kian's meeting room. The next morning they ate like scavengers of the fare they had so missed while away. Valraker entered, whistling. My, it is good to have you all back again. He dished himself up a liberal helping of blueberries. I have proceeded with your travel preparations, if only for the benefit of the three of you who have already committed their involvement. He said this without glancing significantly at anyone. Further to that, we are expecting one more guest for breakfast. He poured cream over them until they floated. Who is it? Derry asked. Your newest travelling companion. I met with him last night, and he has agreed to join the company on this mission. I've discovered him to be an excellent bowman, as well as possessing several other talents that will no doubt be of valuable service to the group. You'll ask yourselves how you managed without him in the past. He is truly a unique find, and I'm very pleased that he accepted with no pressuring on my part. The others looked around at each other with suppressed excitement. As Kier knew, Valraker was able to find suitable members for his company in the oddest of situations, and they were all curious to know who this unexpendable person could be. The door burst open and Kier jumped. There was a pause, then a rush of movement as a small figure raced over to Kier in a blur of color. 
Dear lady, we meet again, and under circumstances such that I cannot adequately express my joy, traveling companions, to be able to look upon your countenance, to begin each new day with you in my immediate vicinity, and your face to be the last thing I allow to enter my sight before I fall into slumber filled with dreams of you. Skimnoddle the halfling knelt grandly as he finished his speech, bowing his head. Kier was stunned as he placed a hand on his heart and declaimed, Such a beauty is Kier, shimmering gold lights up her hair, her eyes deep green like shadowed lair, never was there one so fair as my lady, my true love, Kier. He bowed and hopped onto the seat next to Valraker, which happened to be opposite her. Kier looked daggers at Valraker. This baffling, annoying creature was to travel with them to visit the most powerful wizard in all of Rydris? You'll have to tone down your orations if you're going to gain credibility with this lot, Valraker murmured to Skimnoddle, who bobbed his head and adjusted his cravat. To the rest of the group, he said, I believe most of you have met Skimnoddle. Kier, intent on her eggs and ham, threw a piercing glance at Valraker. The dark elf beamed. Kier thought he had lost his mind. Hunter tied his horse outside Ronav's headquarters. He would hustle in, give a brief account of progress in Nenya, find his belongings, and leave again. He stepped over the threshold. Within moments he was surrounded and staring at the tip of a falchion. He considered it, ascertaining that it was not getting any closer, then raised his eyes. He met the narrow stare of its owner, the one named Hugh, but whom they thought of as Hugh because of his woodcutter style with his enemies. "'Now here's a pretty scenario,' Hugh said. "'You came straight out of nowhere and got yourself in real deep with Chief Ronav of a sudden, and after one job now you're the only one what comes back. I imagine there's a story there.' Hunter eyed him levelly. Not much. I've just come back for my things. The others are dead, it's true, but they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. I'm sure they were. And where's Ronav? Back in Nenya, overseeing the final stages of the operation. I'm to send up more men. Some people named Misty and Juggler, too, if they're here. Hugh lowered his falchion, but not his threatening stance. See here now, there's another thing we've been wondering about. Is that a fact? Well, and it is, Hugh nodded wisely. See, we've heard some interesting rumors lately, to do with Duke and Barthelon and a certain captain he used to have, but don't have no more. He didn't give Hunter a chance to react, but stepped in. Hugh's face was so near to his, the hair on Hunter's forehead moved with his breath. I've got me eye on you, Hunter. Any sign at all of you being still loyal to that damned elf, and I'll carve your face into the most hideous-looking gargoyle you ever saw. And if you're lucky, you'll die before I can show you your reflection. Good thing I'm leaving, then. Suddenly another voice startled them all. "'We've been a little concerned about the same thing, Hugh.' Hugh swished his falchion in the direction of the voice, but nearly dropped it when he saw the tall man who had just appeared out of thin air right behind him. "'Loyalty is not a tenuous connection.' The extraordinarily tall, pale man stepped into the circle and the men slunk away to give him room. So my thought was to come up with a way to keep this man on our side. A bead of sweat formed on Hunter's brow, and he checked the urge to brush it away. He felt bizarrely as though all his clothing had just dropped off him. No, you see, I'm leaving. Golgothar went on as if he hadn't heard. New things have come to light, though, my friend. Ronav is dead. Hunter's jaw dropped. He was alive when I left him, he insisted. Golgothar waved a hand. I know you were not responsible. I watched it happen from my position in the woods. Admittedly, we were tired of Ronav, so we would have found some way to unfortunately lose the poor fellow if the young lady hadn't done it for us. She's a fascinating one, isn't she? I admire ubiquitousness. Kier Halladin killed Ronav? 
Yes, strange, isn't it, that she should be responsible for Ronav's death as well as Con's? Fascinating. Hunter swore under his breath. She was like a curse that now hung over his head. That girl gets around. Hunter felt his guts grind in anticipation of the moment he dreamed of. Golgothar clapped his hands together with delight and shot an eager grin at Hunter as if about to ask a toddler if he'd like some cake. Now, dear Hunter, would you care to learn of the plan? Without waiting for a response, he continued, You have shown such strength of character, not to mention a natural tendency for leadership. Not so natural, Hunter thought bitterly, a whole goddamn lifetime of training. That I'm bestowing upon you, he turned with a flourish of his black cloak and included the entire company in his announcement, the title of chief. He pumped Hunter's hand. I just know we're going to be great friends, Chief Hunter. And as abruptly as he had arrived, Golgothar was gone, leaving behind stunned silence and a new chief who had virtually no blood left in his face. Hugh glared at him. Hunter clutched the eye contact to conceal his loathing for both his companion and for the position he was now in. How long could he avoid betraying his loyalty to the duke he had loved and served for nearly his entire life? One day I am going to kill her, Frederick Halen vowed. End of Book One Stay tuned for a short excerpt from Book Two, Gatekeeper's Deception. Thank you, thank you, thank you to my family, Matt, David and Heather, and Maggie. I really, really appreciate you. Thanks to David and Sharon, and thank you to the original six. Gatekeeper's Deception by Krista Wallace Excerpt from Chapter One Valraker shook Derry's hand. I want you to know how much I appreciate your success in Nenya. It means a lot to me. I'm sure you understand that. Yes, absolutely. Derry looked at him hopefully. He refilled their wine. Very few injuries and fewer fatalities, excepting the perpetrators. What was it? Two? Derry shivered, though the room was warm. Three. Unfortunate. Valraker made himself comfortable in the armchair and gazed thoughtfully at the landscape painting that hung above the fireplace. I am disappointed not to be able to question Ronav. He'd have been able to provide us with invaluable information. I knew it. Knowing what Valraker's wishes would be, Derry had given Kier a direct order to bring Ronav to him. Instead, she had obeyed some crazed instinct of her own and killed him. Derry had been infuriated with her. Kier was the last one to speak to him. It was hard to keep the bitterness out of his voice. Perhaps you ought to ask her... And that's another thing, Valraker nodded gravely, and Derry exhaled in relief at being able to finally speak of what he saw as his biggest failure on the mission, his lack of control of his own people, well, of Kier, and the resulting death of Ronav at Kier's hand. His lord's next words let him down. Tell me again about Kier's sudden reappearance. She was gone for how long? All day. He unhappily but dutifully switched topics, taken by his men at sunrise and full dark when she appeared at our camp. And there was no way she could have known how to find you. The captain shrugged, himself baffled by the strange affair. We had travelled throughout the day and had not followed our planned route. I don't see how she could have known where we were. And she was immobile. Derry cringed at the memory. They'd beaten and flogged her nearly senseless. There was absolutely no way she rode a horse in that condition. She simply reappeared out of nowhere. Valraker rested his chin in his hand and tapped the air with his foot. He stared ahead at some point in the middle distance, as if searching his mind for something to grasp. His jaw was tight, and he gave his head a small shake, dismissing some possible conclusion. Then he sat up straight and smiled. Very interesting indeed. Was there anything else? Taken aback, Derry opened and closed his mouth. 
He wanted to say, I was hoping you had something else to say to me. He wanted to ask if this time he had done enough to satisfy Valraker's exacting criteria. No, my lord, he added hopefully, unless you had anything more. Nothing, Captain, except to say again, thank you for freeing those villagers from a horrific fate. Derry rose awkwardly, confused and more than a little frustrated by his lord's interest in Kier's reappearance, but not her killing of the man responsible for that abominable manipulation of Valraker's people. Also frustrated by the abrupt dismissal, he bowed and exited. Kier sat on the stairs for a few minutes after saying goodnight to Fennel. She gazed up at the portrait of Alan Mare. Whatever it takes... She descended the staircase and walked around behind it to the little door that led up the tower stairs. As she passed the door to the meeting room, it opened, and she was nearly blindsided by Derry. Upon seeing her, his face looked stormy as he carefully pulled the door to behind himself. "'Did you have a nice talk?' she asked. "'Oh, very nice,' he said sarcastically, and went through the stairwell door. "'What does that mean?' She hustled to keep up with him on the stairs." It means, even with the success of that mission, even though we eradicated a problem that would likely have spread throughout all other duchies, even though we saved those poor people from mindlessly killing each other, his voice caught as his intensity increased. She ran to catch up with Derry's long strides. What about it? I thought I had done it this time. Everything he wanted of me, I thought surely this time I had impressed him. Of course you impressed him. You saw his face. Derry stopped on the landing at the second level. Not enough, Kier. He did not offer me a knighthood. He continued up the stairs. Kier rolled her eyes and followed. He's hardly had time to take a breath since we told him everything that happened. Plus, he's got Kian and Alon Mare on his mind. Maybe tomorrow or the next day. I doubt it. He's your mentor. Can't you ask him why? Derry flung open the door at level three and stopped again. He didn't look at her as she caught up to him. He gripped the door handle. I know exactly why. He didn't offer me a knighthood because I'm not good enough, because he wanted me to bring the perpetrator to him for questioning, and we both know why I didn't do that, don't we? It would have been less painful if he'd kicked her in the gut and knocked her down the stairs. He went out and slammed the door, leaving her alone. She heard his bootsteps echoing down the corridor. Val hadn't given Derry a knighthood, and it was her fault. Kier sank against the stone wall. Go be fantastic.